There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Great, thanks, Jazz. As Dan comes up now, uh, let's just pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have it so clearly in front of us. And we also thank you for all the time that Dan has spent preparing what he's going to say to us this evening. And once again, I just pray that you would um, soften our hearts so that we are ready to hear. Amen. There we go. Brilliant. Well, good evening, everyone. Do keep your Bibles open in front of you as we explore our next part of Ecclesiastes together. Uh, well, you might, you might not know, but it, it turns out that Justin Timberlake can not only sing, uh, but he can also act as well. Uh, you might have seen the movie In Time that was released uh, a few years ago. And it's a really interesting movie uh, because it's set in a world in the future where time is the currency. Uh, where your time, lifetime, is the currency. And if you want to buy a coffee, oh, well, that costs you one hour of your life. And, well, when your time runs out uh, on your arm, oh, well, that's it. 
Um, And it's a cool concept of a film because it really does show the reality that time is the most precious thing that we have. It's the most valuable commodity that we each possess. Uh, We can't get more of it. And well, when it's gone, it really is gone. And whilst we know that that's true, you know, we, we live in a culture where almost we don't want to acknowledge that it is. Our culture almost ignores death until we're confronted with the reality of it. Just live for the moment, live to the day, don't think about tomorrow. And, you know, especially with the state of, of medicine, especially here in the UK, especially if you're young, you can almost assume that 70 to 80 years is guaranteed. It's guaranteed with the NHS, the state of medicine that we have. And so we can afford not to think about it. And ultimately, we don't think about it because it's an uncomfortable, it's a depressing, and ultimately it's a terrifying topic for our culture to think about. But you know, what I love about Ecclesiastes is it says, let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not pretend like this day isn't coming. It's inevitable for everyone. As we heard in the introduction a couple of weeks ago, and as we see in our passage this evening, that the result of this fallen world that we live, it says, all come from dust, and to dust all return. And you know, what our passage in Ecclesiastes tonight does is it it zooms out on life. And it gives us a bigger, wider, grander perspective of this world and this life that we have. It acknowledges the frustration and the pain found in this world, especially in death. But you know, this evening, it asks us to anchor ourselves on amazing promises, on amazing truths of who God is and what he's done. That I pray more than anything this evening that we leave here with a hope and a peace that our culture just does not have. A hope and a peace that just cannot be compared with anything this evening. And as we go through our passage, there are three points uh, to guide us through. And the first one is time in his hands. Uh, Time in his hands from verse 1 to 8. You see, we saw last week from the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he chooses to test himself, doesn't he, with every pleasure you could imagine. And yet we saw that for however much pleasure and how many things that the teacher gained, well, nothing left him satisfied. Nothing brought him lasting happiness. Everything left him frustrated. And the teacher says that, well, if we're living for this world, if we're living for what this world can bring, well, it is going to leave us desperately, massively disappointed. And now we get to the start of chapter 3, and the teacher decides to break into a bit of poetry. And you might find these verses very familiar. And if you're not familiar with these verses, well, verse 1 sums it up very well. It says, there is a time for everything. There is a time for everything. And you see, what this poem teaches us is that there is a time for everything, Because there is a God behind everything. There is a time for everything. Because there is a God 
behind everything. And we see that in in verse 1. The teacher says, again, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Uh, That verse, under the heavens, do you know, it's a phrase that shows us this is everything under God's rule. This is everything in God's universe. This is everything under God's rule, under his authority. And the teacher then lists out all the things that there is a time for. And you know, in this poem, uh, there are 14 couplets in the poem. 14, which is a significant number because it's double seven. And in Hebrew writing, in the way that it's done, seven is a significant number as it points us back to the very start. In Genesis, in creation, seven being the number of completeness, being the number of wholeness. And the teacher uses this poem with all of these things that there's a time for and says time is in God's hands. Every bit of it. Our lives, beginning, end, everything in the middle, it is in God's hands. A season for every activity under the heavens. Nothing happens, nothing comes about unless God has planned it. There is a time for everything in this universe, Ecclesiastes the teacher says. All perfectly, all intentionally planned by his hand. Uh, you, you might know if you get the train or have got the train uh, that each season... Uh, the train companies release a new timetable, and you can get sort of the paper timetable that lists out where every train will be at every point, every station, when it will depart, to the minute. And of course, uh, sort of you go Southern Rail, so that information is pointless anyway, uh, but at least they give you something to head for. Um, and you know, that timetable is a bit like this poem. It says that whatever we go through in life, whatever season, under the heavens, it's it's in God's hands. He's planned it out to the last second, just like a timetable. And you know, that might throw up for us huge questions this evening, especially when we're reading through this list and we're not resonating with the planting or the laughing or the dancing. But we're resonating with the hard and the painful seasons of life that the teacher explains that there is a time for. But you know, I really hope this evening that we see the comfort that this truth really is. Our time, everything, is in his hands. You know, Psalm 139, verse 16, the psalmist says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God only knows what we're going through. He knows what we will go through. He knows the number of days that have been allotted to us, a time to be born, a time to die. And everything in between, my times are in his hands. And you know, that truth is an enormously liberating one. It's a freeing one. Because so much of my life is spent worrying and being anxious about things that I just cannot control. Ultimately, when we think of the biggest thing, death. I know deep down this is something that I don't have control over. 
And so for most of us, most of our culture, it is consumed with worry and anxiety for that day that we know we just cannot control. You know, even in the news with coronavirus, isn't that what we see? We're worried. We're anxious. Because we can't control it. But you know, Ecclesiastes says, it's not in my control. It's in God's. You know, Martin Luther, he said, he said this, he said, you cannot live any longer than the Lord has prescribed, nor die any sooner. And you know, that truth really does bring a freedom. Because ultimately, the very thing that is outside of my control is totally within God's. And it's a cause for me to trust him. Isn't it wonderful? All my days are in his hands. Nothing can happen to me sooner than what God has planned. There is a time for everything. And for the Christian, it's an enormous peace, an enormous hope, an enormous comfort for every activity under the heavens. There's a time for everything because there is a God behind everything. Our second point this evening is eternity in our hearts. Eternity in our hearts. You see, the question might be now, well, if God's in control of time, if he's control of every part of this world around us, well, why is so much of life so painful? Why is so much of it so broken? If God's the one that's responsible for this world, why does it seem so messy, so painful? Why is it times it feels so rubbish? Why am I spending more times in pain than in joy? Well, do you know, a couple of weeks ago in our introduction, we saw that this world that Ecclesiastes is walking us through, this world that the teacher is examining, is a world broken and stained by the effects of sin. It's a, it's a fallen world. It's like dust. It covers everything. And yet in this passage in Ecclesiastes, the teacher shows us that whilst this world might be broken, whilst it might be fallen and painful, whilst this is the world we live in now, it's not the world that we're made for. Verse 11, look with me. The teacher says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity into our hearts. The teacher says a similar thing in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. That belief there is something more has been placed within our hearts as we live our lives. C.S. Lewis, he said about this, he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. God has set eternity into our hearts. Do you know, it's the reason why explorers, when they go and they, they meet tribal groups and jungles that have never had any interaction with outside civilization, they still have a concept, a vague concept, that there is something after death. 
Why? God has set eternity into our hearts. And it means, therefore, that this world that the teacher is showing us to be so hopeless, so meaningless, so broken, is not the world that we're made for. Isn't that wonderful? God's desire is that we enjoy something more. An eternity. Actually, as we go through the Bible, we find that this eternity that God has set in our hearts is a totally new creation. A new creation rid of suffering and brokenness. Revelation 21, one of the last chapters of the Bible, it describes this new creation, this eternity that God will one day bring as a place where tears are wiped away. As a place where death is no more. And you know, this isn't a some kind of wishy-washy fairy tale end to the story. No way is that a wishy-washy end to the story. Because do you know this evening, we know that through Christ we have this certain hope. He's won the victory through his death and his resurrection. Jesus in John chapter 11, he says, The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. God has set eternity into our hearts and Christ has revealed that eternity to us. And he's won that hope for us through his resurrection this evening. You know, I, I was visiting a, a church when I was went over to America a few years ago, it's a very big church, and I went in, and wonderfully for me, uh, they treat VI, you know visitors like VIPs, and and so they gave me a load of free merch, which is great. I got a whole new wardrobe, uh, but one of the things that they they gave me was a mug. I should have really brought the mug, anyway. Um, and this mug on it had had this phrase, and it said, "The best is yet to come." And I kind of saw that and thought, well, you know, that's, you know, just a kind of inspirational American statement, you know, well, you know, the best is yet to come. But, you know, the more I thought about it, and actually as we read through Ecclesiastes, that is the great Christian hope this evening. That is what the teacher points us towards. The best is yet to come. And as a Christian this evening, that statement is not uncertain. It's not said with fingers crossed. The best is yet to come is the Christian reality this evening. Christ is risen. Christ is coming. The best is yet to come. God has set eternity into our hearts. And Christ has rescued us from a lost eternity to one that will be with him for eternity. In his presence, in glory, in that place that is free of brokenness and death. Eternity in our hearts. And finally this evening, judgment in our minds. Judgment in our minds. You see, if God is in control of time, if he's in control of our times, if death is inevitable, if it's unavailable, if eternity is ahead of us, Well, the question really is, how do we live now? How do we live now? Well, do you know, our passage and the conclusion given by the teacher might be a surprising one to us. If you look at verse 22, the teacher says, So I saw that there is nothing better 
for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. In fact, the teacher already mentioned something similar earlier in verse 12. He said, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. And you know, we'll see Ecclesiastes address this how we live question in in a bit more detail next week. But how should we live? Well, Ecclesiastes says, enjoy it. And you know, that might sound really surprising. But Ecclesiastes has already shown us so far that if our hope is in solely this world and what this world can bring us, it will leave us desperately disappointed. It wants us to know that. But you see, we've seen tonight that God is in control of our times. Everything about our lives has come about and has been planned by his sovereign hand. And so everything that we have, the place that we are this evening, as Ecclesiastes says, is our lot at this moment. This is what God has given. This is where God has placed us in this season of our lives. And Ecclesiastes says, well, find the enjoyment in what has been allotted to us from God. The blessings that he gives, the the enjoyment that God gives from people that he's placed around us. The joy in the hobbies that we love to do, the the sports that we play, the meals that we eat, the places that we live. Because it points all to the one who's ordained our existence to be at this very point. The one who holds our times in our hands. And Ecclesiastes, the teacher says, we'll see what God has given and enjoy them. And ultimately, therefore, live a life thanking God for the things that we do enjoy. But of course, in our passage, there's a huge caveat to that. Because the teacher wants us to be reminded that in the way that we live, in the way that we enjoy the things that God gives, well, to have judgment in our minds. Verse 15, the teacher says, God will call the past into judgment. Verse 17, he says, God will bring judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. The teacher's already said that there is a time for everything in God's universe, and the teacher says, well, that is no different when it comes to God's judgment. There is a time he has set aside to bring justice. And again, in Ecclesiastes, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Verse 16, the teacher, you'll see he sees this world and he sees how actually in place of good justice, he sees wickedness there. He sees injustice all around him. Even today, don't we see that? Injustice carried out in so many parts of this world in both small and large ways. And yet Ecclesiastes says the hope that the teacher points us towards is that judgment, perfect justice will be carried out. God will right every single wrong. And so as we live our lives, ultimately is to be shaped by this judgment that God will bring. Judgment in our minds as we live out our lives. And so as we find our enjoyment in the things that God gives Well, they're not to become our gods, 
They're not meant to lead us away from God. They're meant to lead us to him, drawing us closer to him in praise and thanks for what he's given. And ultimately, when we talk of judgment, as we will remember this meal later on, as we heard so powerfully this morning, will we remember the one who took God's judgment, the one who had God's wrath poured out on him in our place. The one who took every ounce of God's judgment so that we might not have to fear a lost eternity, but rather enjoy the eternity that he will bring in his presence forever. So do you know, Ecclesiastes again brings us a reality check this evening. It says at that end paragraph, it it shows us the reality of death, doesn't it? It says, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Death is inevitable. And yet, even with the prospect of death that's ahead for everyone, the teacher this evening gives us anchors of hope for us to hold on to this evening. That whilst that might be the case, there is a time for everything. And because there is a time for everything, it shows there is a God behind everything. My times are in his hands and he set eternity in my heart. And this world that I'm in, this world that is full of frustration and pain and brokenness is not the world I was made for. Rather, God says he will bring something new. And you know, because we know Jesus, we can confidently and boldly and joyfully sing this evening, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And in life, we see glimpses of that reality to enjoy now, but we know that judgment is coming. One day, he will right every wrong. Judgment, ultimately, that Christ has taken for us. And so this evening, whilst our culture tries to ignore what's to come, almost pretend like it will never come, Well, Ecclesiastes says, let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not pretend like this day isn't coming. But what it does is it points us to the most amazing truth this evening. That God is in charge and in control of every aspect of our lives. And the thing that I fear most, I can trust him in. Because he stands behind it all. And death is not the end, but rather this evening, the best is yet to come. And I want to end with these amazing words from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, where Paul says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, literally, is there any greater hope for us this evening? There is none. Praise God. Well, we're going to spend some time now around our tables discussing Uh, Our passage, some questions will pop up on the screen there for us to discuss. Feel free to 
say as much or as little as Adam said as you'd like to, and then Adam will come and lead us in the rest of the evening when it's time to move on. Let's spend this time around our tables now.